You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Emily Skillings. Emily, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Brainerd. Emily, I'm looking forward to talking with you, and I know you're going to read some poetry as well, but first, since we're talking on November 3rd in 2021, how has the past year been for you in terms of your um, your work in this kind of unusual situation we're in? Yes, it's certainly unusual. The thing I keep saying in emails is, um, I hope you're doing okay in the strangeness of now. That's the kind of um, phrase that keeps popping up for me. It's a very strange time, a very disorienting time. I'm also a teacher, and um, it's been very disorienting for my students, but teaching has been really grounding for me throughout this whole experience, moving from being on Zoom and the kind of resilience of the students, Yale students in particular, um, and moving it back into in-person, which I feel like everybody feels so grateful for, or a lot of people feel so grateful for. Um, you would think that for a writer, a lot of time being at home would be great for your writing. I found it very difficult to write during the pandemic, um, which I know mm. is not unique to me. I know a lot of pe- writers that I know also had a difficulty. It was like the part of my brain that usually would be, you know, be able to start writing a poem was occupied, obviously, with other things. And so I'm actually finding that now, as things are slightly normalizing in terms of of COVID, I'm finding the kind of psychic space to start writing again, which is very unusual because I'm also teaching through classes right now. It's very hard to write usually while I'm teaching. But um, the first part of the pandemic, you know, forget it. I was just kind of in a haze. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just really starting to, to kind of get back in the swing of my process, redefine my process, and figure out what's next in terms of, you know, putting a manuscript together. And um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, of course, your, your poems and, and that you'll be reading. Is there, I know there's other things that you've probably been involved in. Have you also, um, you've been teaching, you've been writing, you also have a, a collaborative, right? Um, Belladonna, is that still active? Yeah, so I'm a member of Belladonna Collaborative, which is a feminist poetry collective and event series and publisher, Small Press, that was started in the year 1999, actually, by the poet and activist Rachel Levitsky. Uh, And we put out, right now we're putting out just a couple of titles a year and also maintaining a really vibrant um, reading series, and everything is done collectively and collaboratively. It's really kind of like non-hierarchical structure. It means things get done a little bit slower um, than, you know, at a foundation or at one of, uh, uh, like, a bigger press. Um, but this year, um, I had the pleasure of working on Simone Carney, the poet and visual artist Simone Carney's uh, debut poetry collection, Days. It's a long poem, a book-length poem, and it's really just wonderful. And it's so much about kind of being inside, you know, time and language, and it feels like such, it was such an interesting, even though she wrote it 
way before the pandemic. It's such an interesting kind of pandemic read, what it does temporally, what it does kind of like sewing together um, the different textures of language and it really stretches time in this way. Uh, And so that was a really wonderful thing to work on. I also edited starting before the pandemic and um, starting around three years ago, I edited a book of John Ashbery's uh, unfinished longer sequences, mostly from his late career that came out this past spring with Echo HarperCollins. Uh, It's called Parallel Movement of the Hands. And so that took up kind of a lot of my time between 2018 and 2021. It was a really amazing project to work on. I was Ashbery's assistant from 2010 till his death in 2017. Um, And so that was just a really immersive experience. And uh, it was really wonderful to kind of see it through and have something to kind of obsess over during the pandemic um, while things were kind of um, hectic and falling apart. It was really great to kind of have a project to pour my energy into when I couldn't work on my own work, when I wasn't in the space to work on my own work. So yeah, that sounds like a fantastic project too. Uh, um, so to jump right into your poetry, that's where, where are we going to start? What is the first poem you're, you're reading? Um, so maybe, uh, maybe I'll start with a poem from my first book. Um, and I was just going to kind of flip around to see. Okay, I'll, write, I'll read this one. Um, this is a poem from my first book, my only book, <laughs> uh, Fort, Fort Knot. Um, and it's a kind of collage atmospheric poem. I, I, I tell my students that it's nice to start a collection or grouping of poems with a, with a poem that feels like they're kind of drawing the curtain open on the collection, right? It's kind of like the foyer of the book. It's not the grandest poem in the book, right? It's not the ballroom. I'm not that I have a ballroom. I live in a tiny two two bedroom New York City apartment, um, but it 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 kind of introduces you to the to the atmosphere of the book. And so this is a poem that I kind of even wrote with that in mind um, of kind of bringing a reader or even bringing myself into this atmosphere. It's called Garden of Slow Forms, and I'll read it for you. In the middle of your life, it is a Sunday. Shocked blossoms rush, network, embed freely. You decide to take your new throat for a walk and track a softening center ring of thought. The daylight is scrolling itself to death. Everything presses into an atmospheric parfait. Objects held by mounds of soil on and off themselves in neat rows. The available openings open wider open. Slits and bunches grow wild terminals. A lake explodes in a nearby district. A heavy storied tree line stores a form. Instrument of indecision, the calabash harp combs into a cream-colored fog. So it's a little, it's a kind of little poem in, in couplets. Um, I had such trouble writing it. <laughs> I remember there was, you know, that getting that last couplet was so hard. Um, it's funny to read it now, many years later. It's interesting how 
you know, reading your own work, um, as you're saying, years later, gives you a different perspective on it, right? I mean, yeah. it's, about, it's about the craft, but also perhaps who were you then or, or something else? Yeah, definitely. I was actually, um, um, one of my students interviewed me the other day uh, for a series that she is doing at Columbia, where I also teach, and she asked me about a poem that I had just read um, during that interview, and I, I realized that, you know, I wrote the initial draft of the poem. It, I couldn't even call it a draft. It was kind of like notes for a poem. I wrote that, you know, in 2018. And then I finished the poem in 2020, in early, early 2020. So, I, like, years later, I went back to this kind of, like, wreck of a draft and kind of wrote into it. And it was really interesting because I was at that time kind of divorced from the memory of where that poem was coming from, but it allowed me to enter it in a very different way that I found really exciting. Um, I tend to do this. I tend to write these kind of like half-finished poems and, uh, and then kind of go back to them months weeks, years later, uh, it's hard for me to finish a poem all in one sitting. And sometimes I kind of, I can be kind of lazy and give up. Um, so, so yeah, it was interesting to re- recognize that, uh, reading this poem for my student, that, that I had, you know, kind of re-entered it in hindsight years later. Well, that, that's also about the interview process itself, isn't it, yeah. on, and how that impacts your your work, which is kind of interesting. I mean, this is obviously what I what I do tons of interviewing, and and sometimes, yeah, that seems that seems relevant. Like the way I'm talking to the the, the writer artist you know, is somehow um, allows them to be reflective. But I but I imagine not always. But it, it that kind of is is so interesting to me because it speaks to the interview as potentially a way for. For you to have a different perspective on your work, right? Completely. You know, I I often don't know what I think about something until I say it or write it. And sometimes you're asked a question. I mean, you get asked questions that are, you know, very similar, like, what are you working on, blah, blah, blah. And those are great because they kind of force you to articulate something. But then every once in a while you get asked a really specific question and it really becomes part of you, the answer. And you might think it up on the fly, <laughs> you know, it, uh, but it kind of, it starts to inform your, your feelings around your writing, your thoughts around your writing, what you think you're doing when you're writing. And so I always so value being asked questions because, you know, it forces you to articulate something on the spot that you might have just been kind of dwelling inside unthinkingly. So let's hear another poem. What, what's the next one that you're going to read? Well, I thought I would do something kind of strange. I have two more poems that I was thinking about reading. I thought I would do something strange, which is I thought I would read a poem that's, like, not finished yet or that I feel like needs it, – it, it feels like it needs another little something. And um, I've just been writing it for the past few weeks. I started it many months ago and abandoned it. And then I kind of picked it up a few days ago. It's a prose poem. And I've been kind of obsessing over it. And I think reading it out loud might help me figure out 
what it needs. Um, is that okay? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, please. Okay. That sounds interesting. Okay. Um, and it, it actually did come out of a dream that I had, although it moves from there. It's a prose poem. Uh, it's called Dream of an Artwork. A large dress is nailed, staked, or otherwise affixed by its shoulders to the face of a grassy hill. The dress is large enough that five or six people could crawl inside for shelter, but not so large as to be comical or gargantuan. It is made of a sturdy and light organic fabric and a dark green or perhaps a light brown. The color doesn't necessarily matter as long as it's perceived as being in synergy with the natural surroundings. The dress moves in concert with the wind. It is pressed by the rain. It is dried by the bright and varying air and washed by the sun. On some days, parts of the dress fold over itself or the skirt flips up over the neckline, creating a new silhouette, revealing areas of the hillside that had once been covered. In winter, the fabric becomes stiff with ice. In the mornings and on some evenings, the dress is momentarily damp, and it is in these conditions that it becomes most still. I should pause here to say, I know the point of all this is that the dress will begin to decay. I think the artist is trying to say something about being a woman and how it is not dissimilar to a long death. Repeated transgressions of the elements leave their traces. The landscape and weather are at once a violence, and the dress is very context. A small pole in the fabric opens up into a ladder-like shape, a lattice through which blades of grass or wildflowers may grow. Birds come to grasp at the threads of a hem that is coming undone. The dark mud is all around. It dries in patches where cracks intubate below the surface. A group of school children travel by bus to picnic near the artwork. Though visible from a major highway, the dress is only accessible via a narrow path that winds through a field. See how the grass is dying or does not grow at all except for in the places where there are holes in the material, asks the teacher, lifting up a corner of the dress. Yes, says a chorus of small, nodding students. This is because the dress, designed and installed by the artist X, makes it impossible for the grass underneath to get adequate sunlight, which kills it. The grass is sad, calls a small voice. A boy wipes his runny nose on the hem. The children begin to chew their triangular sandwiches and poke at pouches of enriched liquid. But the mushrooms seem to like it very much in the dark, says a child with long, dark hair, her wrist band emblazoned with an inspirational phrase. Nice observation, Susan, says the teacher, a vein of resentment resentment flashing across his countenance. The communications of mushrooms exist beyond our comprehension, he says. I have yet to mention the speakers. Reminiscent of the false rocks used everywhere to hide keys and which fool no one, they emit fragments of recorded text. What was once perhaps an artist statement... Each day, words are removed. The phrases sound like they are drowning in the mud. She parks at the visitor center and exits a green car. The wildflowers on the path seem to bow their heads. She's been traveling a very long time, but the expected feeling of arrival evades her.
Were it a dress for a person and not a hill, it would hit the wearer at the ankles or lower shin. T-length, this style is called. For what reason, I am not entirely sure. So that's uh, I, one of my favorite works of um, poetry, prose. <laughs> I don't even know what genre it is. Is, is by this um, poet, Edouard Levey. It's called Works. And it's a whole book of artworks that kind of don't exist. And some of them are impossible artworks and some of them are possible artworks. But they're all just these kind of short um, blurbs of, of non-existent artworks. So I think that was kind of where that was coming from. But I still feel like it's missing a little, like a movement or something. <laughs> but it was super helpful yeah. to, to read it out loud. I even made some changes while I was reading it. Well, that's so interesting. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad you did read that out loud um, because there's something, you know, part of this interview series, I'm interviewing a lot of visual artists and we talk about art, though we're not looking at it. And, and so we're, we're describing it. And, and yeah, when that happens in writing and poems or, or prose, it's, um, it's so interesting to, to, to hear about. And, you know, the way, the way you set that up is, particular interest to me the way the way kids see something and you know the way teachers teach uh, about yeah. art to to smaller children and how they and how they respond how you know teachers kind of um, you know talks about what this is or how it should be perceived or or, or they try to give some way for children to enter into the picture but it's it's often so um, flawed, for lack of a better right, word. Exa- right? Yeah, exactly. Teachers are, are trying, but it's just... They're trying. You know, it, uh, it usually comes out to be kind of a mess or something. Uh, and I do it, too. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I was teaching um, this poem the other day, and one of my students was like, you totally missed this, um, this aspect of the poem that we haven't even talked about. And she was so right. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never even noticed that. So um, it's true, you know, as my father says, one does one's best, <laughs> uh, but sometimes you do miss the mark, of, and it's a mark of perception or of, of kind of listening or, or kind of assessing what the, what the work is doing, and it's doing something different for everybody, right? So um, you can only be one person inside that. Yeah, I'm so glad you read that. I I love hearing something in progress. And um, so I know you're going to read one more. What is what is the next one okay. that you're going to read? With Should it? I read a new one or an old one? Do you think? How about a new one if if, if okay. we have a choice? Okay. Um, so this is this is this poem starts with an epigraph from from Kafka, from his story A Country Doctor. Um, which is a story that I love so much. But the thing I love the most about it is there's this description of a wound inside it um, that I think is one of the most lovely, grotesque descriptions in all of prose. And um, my friend, Simone Carney, who, you know, I edited her book uh, this past year, she and I used to teach a class that was to visual artists and poets, um, and she came up with this great project idea, which was to construct a wound. And we read this story, um, and the students made these 
really interesting sculptures and texts that went along with them. And so I kind of, a while later, did the assignment, and I was like, how would I construct a wound out of words, or how would I write about constructing a wound out of words? Um, and I think this is going to be the title poem of my manuscript in progress. It's called Ladies, there's an exclamation point after ladies, Ladies Be Your Own Grave. Um, and this is the epigraph. Rose red in many variations of shade, dark in the hollows, lighter at the edges, softly granulated with irregular clots of blood, open as a surface mine to dip to the daylight. Poor boy, you were past helping. I had discovered your great wound. This blossom in your side was destroying you. Um, ladies, be your own grave. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to yell, my leg, my leg, after a great accident. In this fantasy, I am myself, but also an old man in a golfing costume, walking alone down a country road, distracted by the slightly annoying and toxic first green of spring, eyes overflowing with the high-pitched adolescent hum that oft accompanies my idleness, when a large branch topples down on me. Before this happens, I am thinking of you, so in a sense, you are the true accident. Crushed again, I moan to no one down in the dirt where I have always belonged. The ditch, she comforts me, her pocked surface a trove for sight, den mother for lichens, moss, recesses in which frightened beetles may withdraw from the day. In our shared madness, the ditch and I, we stare together deep into my wound. I will describe it for you. French Bible painted white in which a slit is laser cut down through the pages, almost to Job. Smoked salmon and laid with bits of gravel. Neoclassical detail of a crumpled garment left after a feast. Maquette for a later work done hastily in wine-colored plastilina. The red lace border acts as a quasi-shore, the tilting mechanism underneath the irregular bowl of chrysanthemum bitters and rank electrolytes reveals and conceals a partially hidden core of fossilized mammoth ivory. The drawer overflows with wet scarves, there's a G-clay print of a stabbed Victorian overstuffed chair. Raspberry sorbet replaces the body of the oyster. Flipping through wallpaper swatches, you find your sister's mouth breathing up at you. She spits up the retainer you lost on a school trip in the eighth grade, down a museum's elevator shaft. A screensaver in a dark room, a mirror that reflects the room without you in it. A chewing gum vase, a song about falling plays as you fall. The deep perfumed hole lined with feathered rags that has been forming in the middle of Third Avenue for some time now. A hot little flower. The faces of my bored students during a screening of Chantal Ackerman's La Chambre produce a hurt in me, not unlike this one. Will you cup it in your mind? Give her a little blow? You'll be happy to know that in this piece we are confronted with the artist's struggle to work inside limiting yet often exhilarating boundaries of femininity as they relate to time, duration, and landscapes of the domestic interior. And that's really something. I guess the thing is, 
I would like an apology for the last time we lay together, the way you touched me in a hurry. I am looking out the window at a handsome roofer climbing a ladder. This rubber baby purchased online from Idaho. She arrived in tissue. She cries real tears. So that's my kind of weird (laughs) collage wound (laughs) that I made. Um, It's it's got a lot of stuff in it, a wound. I like that. Yeah, it's got an awful lot of stuff in it. And that's a great, it is a kind of, you know, interesting and powerful assignment that then you kind of took all kinds of places, but this idea of, of constructing a wound too as something, as, as, as a prompt or as a guide or as mm-hmm. a, in a collaborative activity is, is so fascinating. I highly recommend it to, to, to write your own wound. I guess that's what we're all doing all the time, but um, to do it in a, in a really focused way was, was quite the task. Yeah, I suppose we are, and it's so interesting. And um, um, before I ask you the, the last question, it's been great hearing you read today and talking about work. Um, you know, you're, you've, you've had this, um, so it seems like such an interesting experience, as you were saying, working with John Ashbury for so long. Um, has has that? I feel like I should ask you something about that um, because I would imagine that's that's quite formative. Or, or, or is it? Did did he have a strong influence on how you write or or present your work? Oh, t- oh, completely. I mean, just being around him, um, you know, he was so he was always reading something, he was always quoting something, and being around him, you were just kind of inside this this beautiful kind of forest of, of references and texts and quotations. And he was, um, so that really influenced uh, my, my poetry. I really started out writing kind of more collage-like poems, and those are the poems that he was writing at the time. Um, when I was working on this book, I actually uh, was transcribing one of the poems, the long poems on a residency. It was a poem he wrote in 1997. And I began, you know, because I was transcribing this poem and editing it and working on it, I, it really did affect my writing at the time. Like I started writing, it had these long lines and I started writing in longer lines. I wrote a long poem in sections and this was a long poem in sections. So it was really kind of a different form of listening, this transcribing. And um, so, yeah, I miss him so much. And um, being around him was also like being, it wasn't exactly like reading his poetry, but it wasn't unlike it either. Uh, uh, He was just a, he was a, he was a really wonderful person. Uh, And so, yeah, I do feel him in, in my work for sure. Thanks so much for for sharing that and, and and all your work today. I want to ask you the last question, which is, what are you reading at the moment yourself? So, um, the brilliant poet Arthur Z just visited my class at Yale. He, he visited actually all of the sections of the class that I teach uh, at Yale, and um, I've been just like really really immersed in his poems for the past few weeks. Um, I love how they braid in history. I love how they have this kind of polyvocal quality to them. Like 
often in a poem there'll be different narratives from multiple people and descriptions of nature. Um, he also was trained uh, as a as a scientist, uh, as a student of science. So there's there's this amazing um, scientific um, lexicon that he's working inside, and it's really inspiring me to to kind of like shift. The, the kind of aperture of my poems in a way. So I've been reading his collected um, book, the new and collected poems called The Glass Constellation, which I think is such a beautiful title. And it came out pretty recently with Copper Canyon Press. Thank you so much for that, Emily. That sounds fascinating. And Emily, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today, for reading, for your time and your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brainerd, and um, I really appreciate being here today. Thank you for your insightful questions. They really made me think about stuff in a new way. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.